You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. This morning is the first uh, Sunday of the new year, 2022. And so sharing with you today is going to be my wife. She's a licensed minister with the Assemblies of God. And she's going to be sharing a message about kingdom priorities. So will you welcome Stephanie as she comes to share with us this morning. Good morning. I have my watch. My husband's watch. Um, So I think we're all a little hesitant to say Happy New Year after the last year that many of us have had. Uh, But I heard a sermon recently about being joyful and choosing to rejoice. And so on that note, I will wish you a joyful New Year, that you will find the joy of the Lord no matter what happens this year. And so we receive the Lord's joy no matter what. Um, It's always an honor to share God's word. I don't get a chance to do it very often, so this is kind of fun for me. So thanks for coming to hear me. Uh, And I hope today that you hear the Lord. That's what I hope. So today we're going to be turning to Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. You also can use your apps. It's okay to use your electronic devices. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. I believe it'll be on the screen as well. So even if you don't have a Bible, you can look on the back wall. And we're going to be looking at the story of when Jesus heals the centurion's servant. And this is a very famous passage. Uh, It's one that's often taught on about what great faith the centurion had in Jesus. Uh, Today we're going to look at it a little bit differently than probably um, you have, or maybe you haven't even read it in a while and we just need a refresher. I always need a refresher, even on things that I've read many times over. So let's look at that. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, who was very dear to him, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders to the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him, to say to him, uh, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, He was amazed, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So this is probably a familiar story to you, but let's look at a couple of things. First of all, just a little refresher on your history. In the Roman Empire, a centurion is a soldier. He's actually a commander, and he is a commander of about 100 men. Hence the word centurion, cent means 100 in Latin. 
Uh, and so uh, we know that the, centurion, uh, the centurions were in charge of smaller units in the larger army uh, called legions of the Roman Empire. And so most centurions were actually of plebeian origin. Plebeians are the common people in the Roman Empire. They're the farmers, they're you know, the, the merchants, uh, not part of the wealthy. And they were part of the commoner class and they just worked their way up through the ranks and became centurions and theoretically would continue to work their way higher if they were very successful at that. But they really were, formed sort of the backbone of the Roman army, um, and they were responsible for making sure, obviously, uh, discipline was happening and soldiers were doing what they were supposed to do. Many of you who have probably served in the armed forces are well aware of that. Uh, so we know that the Roman Empire had taken over much of the area around the Mediterranean Sea at this point by the time Jesus was doing his ministry. They had not quite yet gotten up to the British Isles, but they will get there very soon. So we know that the Roman Empire was an empire that was known for its real estate. The Roman Empire liked to own territory. They liked taking over territory. So we have a man who works for an empire, and his boss likes to take over land. They like, the emperor wants to own everything, right? So we have a man who represents an empire that's concerned with ownership. But when we meet the centurion, we find that he is really actually more concerned with people. Than with ownership. He's very concerned about his slave, his servant in his house. And so the text reveals to us that the servant was very dear to him and was very it was highly valued. Now we know, of course, that servants were owned, but the text would indicate that there was some special relationship, some special connection between the servant and his master in this scenario. And in the Roman Empire, slaves were also, servants were also treated very cruelly. They were not given much regard. They were treated very poorly. And so we have another dimension here where we have a centurion who actually wants to care for his servant and treat him well. He's looking for his servant to be healed. Very unusual. So, Interestingly enough, Jesus, I'm going to start at the, the end of the story today. How many of you like to flip to the last page of the book and read the last page and then you go back and, okay, I don't usually do that, but in this case, I want to know why was Jesus so amazed by the centurion? Like, Jesus was genuinely caught off guard by what transpired here. Now, God isn't usually caught off guard, but Jesus was amazed. Something about this man was like, wow, I have not seen such great faith even in all of Israel. Now, Israel was known for their faith in God. Romans were not. <laughs> so here we have a Roman who Jesus is like, Wow, look at this man of faith. I have not found that much faith even in the whole of Israel. Very interesting. So he, uh, 
commends this man and praises the fact that he has great faith. So what is it? What does that mean? What caught Jesus off guard? You know, as a teacher, I kind of get used to looking at blank faces. Right? So I stand up in front of students all the time, and I teach, and I try to impart, and I try to make connections, and a lot of times there's just sort of the blank stare, you know? But every once in a while, there are those moments where all of a sudden you can see it in their eyes. Like, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, maybe when you're talking to your teenagers or something, or something, somebody. And all of a sudden you can see it in their eyes, the light goes off, and they're like, oh, right? And as a teacher, I'm like, oh, they got it, right? They made the connection. Yay. I'm not, you know, wasting my time, right? I think this was one of those moments where Jesus spent a lot of time teaching. And we know from Scripture that he spent a lot of time explaining. And we know that the disciples didn't always get it. But here we see somebody who got it. And Jesus was like, oh, this is great. This guy gets it. I'm going to his house to heal his servant, right? So I think here what we have is we have a man, a very unexpected man, who's outside of the faith, who's not what we would expect that would actually get kingdom principles and spiritual principles. But here we have... A man who does. Now, just previous to this chapter uh, is a very famous sermon by Jesus where he does uh, the bulk of his teaching, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. So if you actually look back, you can do this in your own time, go back and reread the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just gotten done teaching all of the kingdom principles, all of the spiritual principles that, that his disciples should be learning and knowing and following. And then right on the heels of that, we have the story of the centurion. Take a minute and go back and reread the Sermon on the Mount. And then come tell me how many of those things that Jesus taught on are actually exemplified in the life of the centurion. Very interesting. That's another sermon for another day. But, you know, I have to give you homework. All right. So here we have a man who understands spiritual principles. And Jesus remarks that he is a man of great faith. So when we use the word that you are a person of faith, right? We, we say that, oh, I met a person of faith in the grocery store today. Or, oh, so-and-so is a person of faith. Well, what do we mean? Do, they, do we mean that they just believe in God? Scripture tells me in the book of James that even the demons believe. But I would not call them beings of faith, would I? So what does Jesus mean? What do we mean when we say, oh, Art is a person of faith, right? Jackie is a person of faith. We mean that they are people who love Jesus and follow spiritual principles. Follow the word. That's what we mean when we say that. So here we have someone who does not really theoretically know God, but Jesus says, wow, he is of great faith. So 
We understand that a person of faith is a person who understands kingdom principles. Their focus is on the things of God. They walk by the Spirit, right? Uh, They do not walk according to the world. We do not follow the priorities of the world. We follow a completely different set of priorities. We maintain our values when the world abandons value. Uh, And I'm not talking about like we just live right, like we don't do things that we know are wrong, but that we understand spiritual truths and that we live by them. So case in point, uh, Pastor Dan has a calendar out there for us to sign up to pray. So if you are a person of faith, you understand that prayer is your most powerful tool. If you don't understand that prayer is your most powerful tool, then you need to be back into the word. I don't care what kind of picket signs you hold up. I don't care what you think about anything. But if we are not praying, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. Um, and I can cite lots of, of examples of that in the real world, but I won't right now because, you know, I want to stay focused so I don't waste your time. <laughs> so Jesus was amazed by this man who understood spiritual truths and we are going to find out actually lived by them. So what are they? We know that he was not about ownership. He was about people. And most specifically, uh, not only did he care about his servant in his household, but we also find out that he uh, loved God's people. So we know that even though the emperor signed his paycheck, he was concerned about people. It's not about his rank, he understood. He was in charge of people, but it wasn't about that. He humbled himself. He was a very humble man. If If you look at the text, very humble man. He was not, you know, proud He wasn't going around like, I'm a centurion. You need to do this. You need to do that, Jesus, because I'm telling you to do. Jesus, would you please? You know, I don't don't even need to be there. I know that you'll do it. Very humble, very humble. So it's never about who signs our paycheck. It's never about who we work for. It's never about who's in charge in the government. It's never about our rank. Listen, I have letters in front of my name, but it's not about that. It's never been about that. It's not about keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, You know, and it's not about trying to keep up a strong game face. It's that we understand what's most important. His priorities were kingdom priorities. They were not earthly priorities. And that's why Jesus was like, wow, that's kind of neat. So Jesus gets excited. Like when I get excited, when the the bulb goes off. And so, Jesus decides to go and heal the servant. So, uh, interestingly enough, Matthew also records the same story. um, And he adds adds a little something. uh, In terms of thinking about how the centurion was somebody who you wouldn't expect to understand spiritual things. You would expect people of faith, like the Jewish people and Christian people don't understand the faith. Matthew actually added into the story that Jesus said, and I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom 
will be cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Matthew adds a little bit of detail into the story where Jesus is pointing out, once again, there are those who appear to be following God, and they may look very pious, like the Jewish nation at the time, many of them, yet they didn't understand spiritual principles. They didn't understand what it was all about. And so... That's why it says in Revelation, many are going to say, Jesus, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. And Jesus is going to say, but I didn't know you. you. You never talked to me. If you didn't talk to me, I probably wouldn't let you in my house. Right? If you, didn't, uh, if you had no regard or respect for me or talked to me, why would I let you in my house? So let's look at the kingdom principles that the centurion demonstrates and that we need to have fresh in our mind as we start our new year. As we start our new year, these are the things that we need to get, remind ourselves of, refocus ourselves on, and devote ourselves to. So the first kingdom principle that he demonstrates is that he loves people. The Jewish elders that came to Jesus on behalf of him said, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation. Now in scripture, when the word nation is used, it often is referred to as people, not necessarily geographic borders. And we know that geographic borders to God are pretty meaningless. Whether you come from Connecticut or Massachusetts, whether you're a Yankees fan or a Red Sox fan, God still loves you. <laughs> so we know that here, the nation, the, the Jewish elders are referring to the nation of Israel. So we have a Roman uh, commander who's showing love to the Jewish people. He loves the Jewish people. Very unusual. And uh, we have someone who is a completely different heritage of a completely different faith because, you know, in the Roman Empire, they worship the gods and goddesses. Uh, Different language, you know, uh, in the Roman Empire, they spoke Latin. Of course, they spoke other languages for trade and things like that. So, and we know that he's of a different governing authority. So the Roman centurion answers to uh, to the emperor, to the Caesar, Uh, but the Jewish people answer to their Jewish authority and to God, right? So we know there's different governing bodies here. But regardless of all those differences, he still cares for God's people. He didn't see boundary lines. He didn't see nationality. He didn't see any of those things. Do we love people in that way? When we look at people, do we, we just see them as gods? Not, not gods, little g, gods possessive, S-G. Do they, we see them as belonging to God? Or do we just see them as somebody different than us? He didn't. So how does he love God's people? We know First of all, we haven't even met the centurion yet. All we know is what other people are saying about him. 
So the second principle, God's second spiritual principle is, is that this man built God's church. He loved people, and he built God's church. The text says, because he loves our nation, he has built our synagogue. And you know that for uh, the Jewish people, the synagogue was, it's their church. That's where they go to learn and worship and uh, be under teaching. So Jesus is like, wow, here's somebody that loves people and works to build God's church. Sign me up, I'm going. And Jesus is amazed. Wow, this is cool. So are we working to build God's church? Now, I know that's a little bit of a, a tenuous subject because the last two years has been a little bit challenging, right? Because we've been sort of forced to, like, not go to church for a while. But building God's church, there's a lot of things in that. You know, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So this house The point of this house, the point of every church, is that people connect with God. That people find a place where they can meet God, talk to God, know God. That's the purpose of church. That's the purpose of church. That's why we all do what we do, is to try to help people connect with God. You know, yesterday... Um, I came and I was praying here and I ended up kind of sitting in the back row. And as I prayed, you know, sometimes my husband and I have been here for 14 years. And sometimes you kind of forget, right? Sometimes you kind of forget. And so I was just praying for today and, you know, for the Lord just to kind of do this thing. And the Lord just really impressed upon me. I had this overwhelming sense of how many people have come here and connected with God and been restored. People, we've had, I can't even tell you, people have come and been restored and then gone out to continue ministering, right? So I was just overwhelmed. The Lord just gave me this, such this overwhelming sense of, do you have any idea how many people have met me in this house? Do you have any idea how many, you know, we would have people come in and just cry in the back row. They'd come in right when service starts, they'd cry through service, and then they'd leave. And that would happen. And after several weeks, God would start to restore them. They were just being restored. People who had been burnt out on church, burnt out on people, weren't even sure that this faith thing was even real anymore. Maybe we, maybe church is kind of like, Eh, not for us anymore. And then here they met God. They connected with God. Because in this house, people meet their Savior. In this house, they find restoration. In this house, they find hope. Our sign says, Living Hope Church, for a reason. Because that is the ministry that God has given us. People have found hope and healing here. People have connected with God here. And so when we work, when we all work to provide a place where people can meet Jesus, 
where they can connect with Jesus. God is pleased with that. So are we working to build the church? Listen, I'm not talking about getting out the hammer and nails and like, you know, building a building. You know, there's lots of ways to build God's church. You know, if you can send a text message to encourage somebody, you're building God's church. If you like to write letters, send birthday cards, pick up the phone, you're building God's church. If you can push a vacuum, you can build God's church. If you can hug babies, you can build God's church. If you can put a stamp on an envelope, you can build God's church. Right? I mean, if you can push a button in the sound booth, even as overwhelming as that looks, you can build God's church. It doesn't matter what you do, because everything that you do for the Lord makes a difference. Because we all work together. Uh, You know, the list is just endless. And another thing to to think about is, um, you know, we often think about tithing just in the sense of money. But, you know, tithing really does, it really goes way beyond that. Tithing is like, tithing money is like the foundational thing. When you're a person of the Spirit, when you're a person of faith, when you understand kingdom principles, you understand that you devote a portion of everything to the Lord. So when we start our day with prayer, what are you doing? You're tithing your time in prayer. When you come here and you, you know, we have so many wonderful people that clean this building uh, or work in the office, they're tithing their time. They're giving a portion of their time. They're, They're taking this block of time and they're setting it aside and they're saying, this is for the Lord. I'm going to do this for his house, right? And so we just have to, like, be givers. At, you know, we tithe our energy, right? We, might, we have to love the Lord our God with all our strength, all our mind. Uh, ooh, ooh, how about your mind? Like, someday I'm going to write a book. Do you know that? Someday I'm going to write a book. And I'm going to give the Lord my knowledge. I'm going to honor the Lord with all that I know to be able to build his church. Leading a Bible study. You're you're taking all that knowledge that you have of the word and you're building God's church, right? And I'm telling you, who says it all the time? Gene always says it. You can't outgive God. Whatever you give to God, he'll like Pour it back into your life like tenfold. It's amazing. You know, uh, just as a side note, you know, Moses, when he met God on the mountain, God said to him, you know, Moses like, I can't do that. I can't do that. And God, what does God say to him? Oh, Moses, what do you have there in your hand? And Moses goes, I have a stick because I'm a farmer. And God goes, okay. That's good enough. Let's use it. Whatever you have in your hands, whatever you can do, whatever you can do. And if you don't know, just ask him, right? Ask the Lord, and he'll tell you. Okay, so Jesus hears about this man's heart, and he hears about this man's life, and uh, through the people that come to him, and then verse 6 says, so, which means therefore and in response to, Jesus goes because he's excited. 
he's amazed because he's met somebody that gets spiritual principles. He gets what it means to be a disciple. And so um, now we discover a couple more, two more kingdom principles from the man himself. So the centurion speaks to Jesus, and he says, uh, basically, I understand that if I tell a soldier to do this, he's going to go do this, or if someone tells me to do that, I go that. I understand what it means to obey. And so the centurion understood authority. He understood that there were people above him and that there were people below him, and he understood what it meant when you were asked to do something that you just did it because your commander-in-chief has a reason. Your commander doesn't have to tell you why you're storming the lines over there in the battle, right? Your commander just says, go do that, and you go do it. He doesn't have to explain. He doesn't have to rationalize. You do it. And so he understands. Jesus said in the New Testament when he was teaching, he said, I do what my father tells me to do. So Jesus understood authority. Jesus heard from the Father and then did what the Father asked him to do. Jesus had disciples under him. So his disciples, Jesus told his disciples what to do and his disciples went and did it, right? So we understand there's always authority. There's always somebody over us and there's always somebody under us. So he has no... um, Concern because he understands that Jesus understands this and Jesus is like impressed by this and so um, If the word says take care of the poor and the widows What should we be doing? Taking care of the poor and the widows like this is kind of like not difficult, right? There are things in the word that are difficult and the Lord will help us with all of them but if, and if the word says, you know, Jesus said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Just do what you have to do because you have authority over you in the physical world and you have authority over you in the spiritual world. Just do what you got to do to live at peace with people and then keep living out my, spirit, my spiritual principles, heavenly, heavenly lives, right? So the centurion trusted Jesus. There's no fuss. There's no, like, this is just the way it is. Now, as a side note, just to loop back, remember that centurions came from the plebeian class. They came from the commoner's class. So this is a man who worked himself up through the ranks to become a centurion. So he was very humble, and he had been on both sides of authority. So he had been under authority, and he now has, uh, he is over authority. And so... One thing that as Christians we need to also understand is that we will never be given authority unless we know how to live under authority. Because he never would have been moved up in the ranks to a centurion if he did not understand how to be under authority. And so even when Christ asks us to do something, we have to do it even though it might not make sense. Like turning the other cheek, or, you know, if you have two coats, give somebody one. All, you know, all these things that Jesus taught us. Um, love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. Like, it doesn't really make sense, but we obey. We do it, right? 
And so we have to follow Christ even when it doesn't make sense. And we have to follow our spiritual authority even if it doesn't make sense unless there's obviously moral issues there. So like, for example, whoever has been put over you pastorally, uh, you should follow them unless there's something immoral going on. Unless they are asking you to do something that is against Scripture, that's why you need to know what Scripture says. Okay, so our last principle, number four, uh, the centurion demonstrated, he says, uh, say the word and my servant will be healed. Like, you don't have to even go there. I know that you can just, you're going to just do it. You're going to do it. And so here he has confidence that Jesus will answer when he calls. Do we have confidence that Jesus will answer when we call? Because if we're living out these things, if we're loving people, if we're helping to build the church, if we're obeying Christ, then you have no reason to think that Jesus won't listen to you. You have no reason to think that he won't answer your prayer. It's not that he won't answer it. It's sometimes just a matter of timing. And timing is everything with God. And so we have here four very important principles for living Spiritual principles, no matter who we are, where we are, no matter what government, country, third world country, civilized country, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're all supposed to be loving people, building his church, obeying Christ, obeying the word, and having confidence that Jesus is going to hear our prayers for whatever we're praying and for whom we're praying. And these are the things that mark the centurion. One of the last very brief observations I want to make, too, is that notice that it was his servant that was sick. It was not a spouse. It was not a child. It was not a parent. It was a servant in his house, which I think is very interesting um, because we know that if we take care of God's house, if we are servants in the master's house, he's going to take care of us. Um, I always say to my husband, right? So when we bought our house, we were a little nervous. I'll be honest with you. We were a little nervous to buy our house because my husband and I spend so much time taking care of other people that we were a little worried we wouldn't even be able to take care of our own house, right? How many weekends go by that we just don't get those hedges trimmed, right? Because we're visiting people in hospitals or taking care of people or church events or whatever. And I've always said to my husband, don't worry, we take care of God's house, he's going to take care of ours. I've always said that, haven't I? And without fail... Whenever we have a repair that needs to be done, I'm like, all right, Lord, (laughs) we take care of your house. Please take care of our house. And would you know without fail, every single time the Lord comes through, the Lord comes through. Whether it's an expensive repair that we get an amazing break on or the money just shows up or somebody who's skilled that can actually do that just shows up and is like, I'll take care of that for you. And we're like, oh, Hey, praise the Lord, right? Because we know when you take care of God's house, 
when you take care of the things that are important to God, and that is people, he will always take care of your house. Always, 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 always. So the servant who had been devoted in his master's house for so long was sick. Matthew actually notes that Um, in Matthew's account, that the servant was actually dealing with paralysis and terrible suffering. And sometimes when we serve God very faithfully for a long time, and sometimes when we're living out all these principles, it becomes exhausting. And sometimes even God's servants can experience suffering and even paralysis. I don't know about you, but in the last couple of years, you sort of feel like stuck, right? Like, oh, oh, wait, we're not supposed to go to church. Oh, wait, we have to do church online. Wait, I can't leave my house. Wait, what am I supposed to do? And you're, we're sort of like stuck. Or sometimes when we've dealt with uh, traumatic things in our life, maybe a loss of a job, a loss of a loved one, loss of our health, we become paralyzed because we, like, cognitively can't, like, we can't process everything that's happening to us. And so we kind of get stuck. And we sort of don't know what to do. I have news for you. Jesus came to the servant. Jesus healed the servant who is faithfully carrying out, taking care of the master's house when he became ill. And so sometimes if we feel like we're stuck, sometimes if we're not sure what we, we should pray or we, we don't, we, we're kind of stopped in our tracks, we've, we've lo- life is just different now and we don't really know what to do, I'm here to give you hope and tell you, listen, Call out to Jesus because he sees you. He knows you're stuck. He knows you're having a hard time with something. He will heal. He will come to you because you are highly valued. You are dear to him. And he cares about you. And he will heal. And he will come. So today, as we start our new year, as we've uh, refreshed our memories and our spirits on what's important to God, let's devote ourselves to these principles. Let's forget about everything else Let's not worry about anything that the world worries about. We all have to do what we have to do to be safe. That's not, I'm not saying, you know, disregard what's happening. We are in a public health crisis. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about doing whatever we can to love people in whatever circumstances we're in, in whatever way that you can do it. And whatever way you can help to build God's church We work to do that this year. Let's rebuild. Let's restore people. 
Let's get people back into the house of God. We're very blessed. We did not lose a lot of people through COVID and quarantine, but many churches did. Many churches lost most of their congregations, and many of them have closed their doors. Let's res- There's people out there that used to be in the house of God that are now, I don't know, floating around. Wherever we meet them, let's encourage them back to the Lord. Let's pray them back to the Lord, to connecting with God. So today, I want us to rededicate our lives. Will you love God's people, whoever they are? Will you work to build God's church? You know, this guy can't do it all. He needs an Aaron and a her. And let me just, as a side note, let me just give you a prayer request for this year. Do you know statistics are showing that 38% of pastors cross-denominationally have left the ministry? 38%. That is over one-third of pastors in the last two years that have left the ministry, that is our spiritual covering. The tremendous stress and pressure that has been put on them, their, their capacity was gone. Listen, we've felt it. We're still here, praise the Lord. But many just were like, I can't do this anymore because of everything. If we need, you, we need to be praying for the spiritual covering of our nation. We need to be praying for pastors. There's less and less people going into the ministry. And I don't know about you. I don't really care who's sitting in the White House. I care that I have a spiritual covering. I care that I have pastors that are protecting the flock. Because what happens if there's no shepherd? You know the word, right? So, servants who have faithfully, faithfully carried out kingdom principles, loving God, building the church, and now I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Ugh, breaks my heart. So would you pray? Would you pray for pastors, not just in our nation, but around the world? Because that's our spiritual covering. We need that. We need that. So as Dan starts our our music, um, there's not going to be anybody up here to pray for you specifically today because I want us all to just take a moment, come forward if you feel comfortable coming forward. You can do it at your seat if you want to. Would you rededicate yourselves to the same kingdom priorities that the centurion had? Would you rededicate yourselves? Let's all of us rededicate ourselves to loving people, building God's church, obeying Christ, and knowing with confidence that he's going to answer our prayers. So let's do that today. Come to this altar. Spend a few moments connecting with God. Um, There's just going to be music playing. If you do need prayer, of course, we are here to pray for you. Please come and ask. But let's take a minute and connect with God today. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. 
We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.